Hey, welcome to another episode of the Greencastle Shots from the Winchester podcast. Today, today's probably our biggest name guest that we've had on yet, Robert Irvine from Dinner Impossible, from the Food Network, uh, a huge advocate for veterans and first responders. He's coming on with us today to talk a little about his journey, the grind to become that household name that he is, and uh, and why he's found this cause of supporting veterans and, and what he's all about. Stick around, you're going to like it. Hey, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, man. We really appreciate your time. I know you're a super busy guy. Uh, when we first started talking to Donna about having you on, I said, you know, there's a, there's so much about Robert on the internet. We know a lot of things about Robert, but uh, what I don't think we know, and and we're so we're, we represent uh, an all veteran organization where we are the largest 100% veteran staffed company in the country, and uh, so we're all about veteran advocacy. Uh, but the grind behind before Robert Irvine became a household name, there was Robert Irvine, the, the, the sailor in the Royal Navy. And some, sometime between there and where you are today was the turmoil, the, the, the struggle, the grind to, to, uh, to get through that, that entrepreneurial uh, go. And I think that's, uh, if that's cool, man, I'd like to start off with that. Sort of a question. Like, uh, I don't know about a household name. I mean, um, listen, we're in 170 countries with a billion viewers, and I'm still trying to work on that household name. And I mean that. Um, yeah, look, I started in the Navy really early. I'm a, I'm a veteran myself, which you know, uh, it's not hard to find that out. I started in the Navy at 15 and a half years old. Um, I actually joined my first warship at 16 on my 16th birthday. I uh, was not a good student. Um, not many people know that, by the way. I was not a good kid at school. Um, but for some unknown reason, I was a pretty good leader. And whether you take that as a good leader or a bad leader, um, I, I don't know. But I think struggles, geez, I struggled. You have to understand a little bit about my background first. My dad was in the army. My brother was in the army. My dad was a really good football player. Football meaning English football. Not, I got not, Yeah, I, I picked up on that. Um, and the reason they kept him in the army is because he was such a good football player. Otherwise, he would have been drummed out of the army because he was a bit of an alcoholic, um, liked a good time, et cetera, et cetera, even until he passed away like that. But, but he was not, um, not a good soldier. And if it wasn't for his ability of playing football, he would have been long gone. Uh, I didn't get that ability of football, although I thought I was good. I really wasn't. Um, the journey for me, my God, I think the journey for me was when I joined the military and I realized that I needed structure, I think is, is what I, I originally got from it. But the bigger part of that was, I was really good. I'd been a sea cadet, um, which is very different in the United States as it is in England, by the way. Um, I would be away at bases every weekend, Marine bases, special operation bases, uh, warships, and, and really seemed to get a high. And that's, and that's, you know, not from drugs, from, from that lifestyle. That's why I joined the military. But I realized suddenly that I was 
almost kicked out of the military after the first three weeks, three weeks in the military, because I wasn't a good team player. I was an individualist who my kit was perfect. My boots were amazing. My, you couldn't pick anything wrong with my badge. My literally couldn't. I mean, I was perfect there every time. But what they almost kicked me out for was because I wasn't teaching other people. I wasn't a good team player. So when they told me that, um, I literally at two o'clock in the morning and my mess deck at 12 people and 12 people, including me, I tipped 11 people out of bed at two o'clock in the morning and used a, a few bad words and said, okay, now you're going to learn how to press your kit and do your thing. And, uh, and that's pretty much what changed my, my military career of leadership. People, we expect people to know things. The fact that they don't uh, is the interesting part. Uh, and I think my success through life has been because I teach people. That came from that mistake in the military. So you're, you're 15 years old, right, coming in, and you're put in charge of other folks who are ostensibly your age or older than you, and you're being tasked with with what? Oh, I had I had a 27-year-old in my class. I mean, with a degree and everything. I mean, again, a guy was smart as, <laughs> as you come. And here's this, you know, when I joined, it was 16. I signed when I was 15. I actually joined when I was 16. Uh, and there's a 16-year-old kid tipping the 27-year-old who's bigger, smarter, uglier um, than me. And, and I'm telling him what to do. And he was supposed to be the class leader because of his age. And, um, in England, our air service in the military, we call them wafus, um, which is kind of interesting, but my wafu chief who was in charge of training is like, look, we're going to drum me out because you're not that good guy. And by the end of it, he said, now you understand what teamwork is. And I think when I came out, went to, to cruise ships and I went every, every job I've done, I've always been the youngest person to do that job, the youngest executive chef, the youngest, um, cruise line chef, the youngest, you know, all those things. And it's based on the leadership qualities. I, I learned in sea cadets first and foremost, but also carrying on through the Navy. Uh, and I think that's where we are today. I have a very strong ability to see bullshit, uh, to listen to bullshit and to understand it. Uh, in minutes and be able to change those those habits because I was one, right? So, right. Well, that's an interesting point you bring up. So you're come in, you're you're in three weeks, you're almost tossed out for a lack of leadership ability, but yet it is in that struggle. And I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's in that like we don't, and I, I've heard you on another interview say, like, we talk about, we don't grow when we're succeeding, right? Like if, if, if life's just handed to you and, and you win all day long, if you've never known the struggle, if you've never failed at anything, you've never had that real like poignant moment where you've been down and, and you lost something, then you've never had any opportunities of growth is, was that one of those seminal moments then where you, and you continue to build from there? I don't, I, I think it was, I didn't realize it. And, and I was too young to realize that. I was really pissed off, really angry at this chief who thought he knew better than me. <laughs> and, you know, my kit, yeah, yeah, go for it, right? And and my kit was perfect. There's one thing I am very proud of is when I go out 
even my girls and my, and my family, my, my, my shoes, my, all those things that we learn in the military are still prevalent today in my life. So whilst I, I say absolutely it was a, a learning moment, I didn't think so at the time because I thought, oh, what does this guy know? He's been in the military 27 years and he, ah, you know, um, but yes, absolutely. And I think there are a thousand of those pivotal moments yeah. as we go through life. And, and one of the biggest things I found is you don't know who's listening, who's watching, who's whatever, when you're, you're saying or doing what you do. Uh, and I think that was the biggest change for me. I worked for two star, three star, four admirals. I had a great time. Listen, I would get up in the morning, cook breakfast and, and go sailing with it with an admiral for, for a couple of days. And great. What a great job I had. I didn't work except for, for a couple of people. Um, so I think all the learnings and lessons of, of our military, and I say this in every base, and I, I mean, in a month, I visited five bases this last month. Understand what you're being taught. Learn the leadership skills, your MOS, your specialty. And then if it's not good for you after a certain amount of time, then come out. But never forget the lessons you're taught in the military, because that's what sets you up for the next whatever it is. Is that just a uh, is that a is that just a, a product of of the age or, or of wisdom that comes with age? Because you said you said yourself, like I was sixteen, yeah. I didn't know any better. If I had every lesson, if boy, if I could go to it's one of those things. If you could go back and and punch your own sixteen year old self in the head and be like, God, you're such a knucklehead. We all would, right? Uh, yeah, but you know what? I, for me, the answer is always going to be yes. But and I say this. What a great learning moment and moments. And I've messed up so many times and I've failed so many times. And, and failure comes in different levels, right? You know, um, but you learn from those, those failures to give you, and you just said it a second ago, to give you I, what you need. I believe, and this is going to get kind of weird for a second, God gives us all enough to handle stress, happiness, everything else setting you up for when you fail to go further. And I believe that. I, I believe that every mistake I've ever made and you learn from set you up for the next level of opportunity. That's a, uh, I think it's a poignant moment. And it's, and it's interesting because I believe that. I believe that, um, that God only gives you or, or the universe, whatever it is, you, whatever it is yeah, you want to call you it. Believe it yeah. Right. That only gives you enough that you can handle. And there, there are moments where I go, Hey man, I don't know if we're on the same page. I don't know if we're, if we believe the same thing about what I can handle. Cause I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty tapped out and where I am. And then you come out of it and it's in those moments where you go, gosh, darn, did I grow from there? Did I learn that I'm more capable than what I ever thought I was? For sure. Um, the, uh, you, you talked about, uh, you said you can see through bullshit and that's part of what you brought out. Is that, um, is that an asset or is that, is that a detriment being now working in the spheres you work in, where you work in, in very chaotic environments in, 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 uh, in very fast paced kitchens or just even in the, like on the, the TV side, is it, is that an asset or is that something that not everyone's aligned with? Well, I think it's an asset to me um, <laughs> sure. because I, because I deal with chairman of joint chief secretary of defenses uh, senior leadership in the military, then I lead, uh, then I lead with Fortune 500 company leadership, and then I deal with mom and pop 
uh, um, restaurants and businesses in general. So when you tell me a story, yeah, go ahead. I'll listen to you. But then I can pick holes in that story in five minutes. You know, so so it's great for me, not for other people. And I mean that in leadership, too. So I can go to a, to a, a chairman of Joint Chiefs and I can say exactly what I feel because I'm not employed by the military. I can say, hey, listen, this is what I saw. This is the problem. And here's the solution. What you do with it is now up to you. And that's in everything, whether it's American Airlines, whether it's Cisco Foods, whether it's Comcast Business, whether it's, it doesn't matter who it is. The delivery is going to be the same. I'm telling you what you're doing wrong. You know, whether you choose to believe that or not, or act on it, it's entirely up to you. Is that a, uh, is, is that a staple? I think that's a loaded question. Let me rephrase it. It's like authenticity is like being authentic where somebody can see through your bullshit. Right. Or you can, and if you call somebody else on out on it, that's, that's being authentic. And, and uh, it's funny. You mentioned the chairman of joint chiefs of staff. But one of my favorite quotes is from Colin Powell who talked about being authentic as a leader and, and transparency and, and calling somebody out for their bullshit for what it is. And I, and I got to tell you, Mark Milley, Joe Dunford, um, and, and the whole list of Mark Esper, all, all these guys that I deal with, I've had to deal with that and in some way or form sugarcoat something because they, they can't deliver the way I can because I'm not employed by the president of the United States. I'm not employed by, so I give you, people bring me in to fix things. So it's easy for me to say, Hey, listen, no, this is A, B, C, D, or E. And Donna, who's there with you will tell you that because um, she's the same way. And I like that. I'd much rather you come to me and say, no, 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 and this is why, uh, than, you know, say yes and then walk away and say, oh, what a, you know, what a piece of work that one, you know. You, you know, it's a, a good segue. I heard you say on the uh, on the, the Consequence of, of Habit podcast with, with JT, you yeah. said, Love that um, guy. Uh, great guy, right? And, and uh, uh he, you had said in that interview, you said, uh, food is the conduit to tough conversations and, and food is the great equalizer. When you're dealing with, uh, the chairman of joint chiefs of staff and you're, and you're having tough conversations with the, the CEOs of, uh, or C-suite of, of fortune 100 companies is, is, is food that, that, uh, that component that brings everybody together. It's normally over food. Yeah. Be, I just think it, it, Food allows you to drop your guard. We have to eat just to sustain life, but we also enjoy eating. And when you eat, conversation is much easier to drop whatever you want to drop. Um, and I've done, I, and again, I've done a thousand dinners, millions of dinners where I've broken a barrier that was there based on that sea level. Listen, I come from a, from a, um, a down home. I'm not educated in, in university and colleges. Mine's hard, hard knocks. So I've come from the street. So yeah. Okay. You want to fight? I'll fight. You want to talk? I'll talk, but then you have to be able to listen. And, and this is something that makes an amazing CEO or a general or whatever is listening to the people that work for you or alongside you, because if you don't listen, it doesn't get any better. And food allows that. It, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, head of Coca-Cola, 
I can tell, I can literally dictate conversations of these level people over food that has changed their thought process and in turn changed something in their company. I think I heard you say on, on that same interview with JT, I think I heard you say that if, uh, if you could get all the leaders, the world leaders together, like, like over the Ukraine, if we could get everybody together over some of their native dishes or just something that their comfort food, and we could have a, a conversation over food, it would, it would change the outcome of, of how these, these discourses go. Look, look at world war two. All right. You want to go there. I'm going there. Let's do it too. I missed this Christmas. It was over a Christmas period. There was no shelling, no fighting, no shooting hmm. and food. Declarations of independence, yeah. the last supper, births, marriages, funeral, hmm. race um, uh, um, issues. When you sit down and physically talk, and I've done it, and physically talk over food, you can achieve anything in this world. And look, I, it, it, Ukraine and Russia and China, I think there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, I think, yes, we could sit down and discuss it a lot better than we're doing for sure. Um, and some people have tried, uh, we'll see what happens there, but yes, food is a conduit to hope. That's, uh, well, that, that's a, that's kind of a profound statement because people think of, of, of money or, or, or something else as being the conduit to hope, but food, which is another good uh, segue into something that I, I again, I, I don't want to interview you and ask you about the same stuff, the same stories you've told a hundred times, but I was something that jumped out at me that I thought was really interesting because in the world we're living in, there's so many high profile thing, you know, um, efforts that people want to support, but you are working in a, correct me if I'm wrong. You're working with the secretary of defense, to deal with food insecurity amongst junior military families. And that when, when I heard that, and, and I, I forget if I read it somewhere, heard it, I thought, wait a minute, what? And, and, and I'm, I've been in the military. I'm, I'm retiring next month. I've been in 26 years, even in the military. That's still a foreign concept to me that, that some of our junior military families who are enduring so much sacrifice and, and have the last, whatever, couple years or yeah. 20 years that there's still an insecurity. That's just not something that, I think American society associates with, with the, the military construct. It's not. And first of all, thank you for your service. What branch? Navy. Navy. Go not Navy. Royal Navy, but you know, close. There you go. Well, it's, it's a Navy. It's okay. <laughs> um, so here's the way I look at things. So not only am I working alongside um, uh, the chairman and, and the chiefs of the military very closely on changing the feeding habits of our military. So th that's the first piece. And, 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 I'm, and I'm giving you a holistic view to get back to your point. So for years, we've spent billions of dollars on tanks and planes and drones and ships and unmanned ships and whatever, but we've never really felt or thought about the chow halls and the food that we serve our men and women, the 1.2 active duty men and women, a million active duty men and women, and the 1.6 uh, reserve and guard, right? So we never think about them. We just think, just like us, uh, our mid-level management, you know, our chiefs, our master chiefs, master guns, et cetera. Oh, it was okay when I was in there. And I'm not painting the picture of all those ranks like that, but there are a lot because I face it a lot, right? They say, oh, Robert, come on, they can eat this. No, they can't. We're in a different environment now. I don't agree with some of the babying that we do with the, these kids today. No, I don't. 
But the food is really essential. Why is it essential? Because the vitamins and minerals that we have in food are not what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're, we're growing food uh, in a very different way with, with less mineral. If you look at um, a tomato, they all look the same. Look at a red pepper, green pepper, they're all the same shape. There's no nutritional value. So why am I getting to that point? Because as we buy the food, as we cook the food in DFAX, dining facilities and galleys, as we get them to a level of resiliency, then they go home and they eat whatever they can eat because they're hard on money. E through E5 through E1, one in four of those ranks, and that's just a real number, um, one in four families are food insecure in our military. How can that be with the best military in the world in the United States of America? That's and it's the same time. A quarter, a quarter of those families, and, if, and for those that are listening, if you don't understand that E1 is a huge population by itself, E2, E3, these are all ranks. And imagine if you're working on a factory floor and on the Amazon floor and everybody from your, your, your lowest level employee to even your, your junior supervisors, Every one in four of them is is uh, or a quarter of them are food insecure. That's crazy, isn't it crazy? And and so and and I have to applaud Secretary Austin yep. and his wife, because um, I sat on a board with his wife, um, an MFAM, uh, another great um, um, foundation. They're really tackling this because they become susceptible to bribery and everything else, right? When we don't have food. And when I say we don't have food, these guys will go out buy four, four McDonald's, give three McDonald's to the kids and the husband and wife will split one just to get through. And I've seen it. I was in Fort Hood, Texas, giving away food uh, for 800 families uh, a couple of months ago with MFAM and Tyson and some other folks. I couldn't believe that our active duty men and women are suffering like this in this country, let alone, let alone they can't get health care. And, 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 you know, John Stewart's a good friend of mine with, with the burn pit, but what about the combat casualty act where we've now taken money out of hospitals like Walter Reed and, and Ramstein, all these other places, because we don't have those casualties, but yet we still have 18 years of casualties sitting at home. that can't get served. So I'm a huge advocate I don't want to turn this into a preaching thing, but I'm, I'm a huge advocate of when, when you sign this dotted line, we take care of you for life. You are a soldier, a serviceman for life, and we have not lived up to this promise. And that's why foundations, um, Sinise, myself, uh, um, um, you know, all these other foundations, there's a thousand, I can't name them all, but are needed because they fill the void of the military that don't take care of them. Only this morning, I was on the phone with a couple of senators about the same thing. I have some, some really good friends. In 2011, I met, I met um, a family, um, Louis Avila, Captain Louis Avila. He died in my eyes, literally while I was there. I hit him on the chest to revive him. I'm like, don't you dare die on me. Um, he's alive. Thank goodness they revived. Uh, and now I promised him I would, I would take care of him. 
um, in feeding and, and on all everything else, which I have done and kept my word to this day. But we're missing out on those on those promises. My job is to make sure when you retire, I promise to take care of you after your 26, 30 years, whatever you're going to do now, I promise to take care of you. And we're not, we're not living up to that. That's why there's a problem getting people in the military. In that example you gave, and I, I'm still like, I'm, I'm still swirling that around in my head because the example you gave of the family going, there, there's two parts to it. And this isn't to denigrate McDonald's as we're talking about. We're talking about the, the, the nutritional content and yeah. McDonald's will have to forgive me. They'll probably strike me way, down. By the their- way, McDonald's, I'm going to read, I'll go yeah. a bit further. McDonald's has the best training program, management training in the world. Right. Forget what you like the product yeah. because I hired one of their managers who works for me in the Pentagon. Really? So let, let's, yeah. But in, in that example you gave is uh, an entire family going, what there's two parts is one, they don't have enough money to buy, buy food and you don't have to, and I'm not saying you have to go buy the organic, you know, whatever, but just, just go to be able to go to the grocery store. But the second part, and so they're, they're cause they're splitting a meal. So there's the, there's the monetary piece. That's, that's a, that's, that's obviously, that's a problem for us that, that when a, when a military family can't afford at the junior levels, yeah. we're adding stress. They're already stressed enough because they're the ones out there carrying out what, you know, while the, the, the rest of the senior folks are, are orchestrating. Those are the ones actually carrying out the fight. But the second part is the nutritional component of that. Like you're, you're feeding your kids McDonald's, not because you're treating them the, the, it's not cheat day, you know, on your workout yeah. regimen, but because that's all you can afford. Cause all you can afford is the dollar menu fries and burgers. That's, that's but just a knock on effect here. Right. Yeah. So when, when you are so used, when you come to, I'm going to use Alabama, New York city, Kentucky, when you grow up in those families and I'm one of them families. Okay. So, so I grew up on a Friday in England two pieces of, of bread, butter, and sugar. That was my meal. So I grew up in that background. When you, when you get used to something and you grow older, that's how you feed yourself moving forward through, through, through the life, through college, if you go to college, if you're lucky enough to go to college, through the military. So that's why I started with that H2F program this morning, uh, earlier on with you, because now we have to educate you from eating hamburgers to eating healthier food for you to sustain and grow your body and be better, a better you. So it's a holistic approach of we've got to educate and, you know, we've got to have commissaries and exchanges to have a portion that says, hey, listen, we can get this kind of fish today, this kind of chicken today, this kind of beef today, this kind of pork and all the vegetables you can eat for five dollars. Right. So that it encourages. And, and by the way, there's 16 different ways to make it because we're all ethnic ethnicity, oh my God, I can't even say it, ethnically different. So you can have it Thai, Chinese, English, you know, American. So there's a different way in which you can use this. And that changes every week. That would alleviate half the problems that we have in our military or trying to get to our military. Right now, we're offering 50, 60, 39, $100,000 for people to join the military. They didn't offer me that when I joined the military. Yeah. Different worlds. So, um, you know, food, again, I go back to food is, is a huge piece of, 
our national security, our life in general, and our kids' life as we grow up. I I read somewhere, I heard you say one time um, that um, you said uh, something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, you said that when I die, I want people to say that that I did something, that I had an impact. And you've, and you've been very vocal about having a platform and, and, and how it's frustrating now that you do have a, a, a big stage to walk on bigger than, than the average Joe. Um, and, and, uh, and it's, and it's an interest. We were talking offline before with the, the crew. And I said, Robert's very unique that way. Cause so many times you hear people say, well, I'm just an athlete. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm just going to stay in my lane because they, they're too scared to maybe go out because, you know, because of the world we live in, because of the cancel yeah. culture and everything else they are too afraid to take a stand for something. And I said, Robert's very unique that way. He says, no, no, screw that. You, you have a platform. And to your point, when I die, I want people to say I did something more than I was just a footballer or, or yeah. whatever. I was a baseball player or I was a movie star. I actually did something is, is, uh, and obviously I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in a, in a, in a box, which there's more to Robert Irvine than just one cause, but is having, uh, an impact on veterans. Is that one of those things that, uh, that you go, I hope that people, when they think of Robert Irvine years from now, they think of veterans and the military and the first responder in, in fairness, you're very big about the first, that the first responder and military communities are better because of, of what I did. Absolutely. I'll go one step further. Um, last week I was in, in Monterey, California at, um, an international project press produce association event. I was keynote speaking to farmers and, and, and folks. And in the audience, there was a, a great group of, uh, and I didn't know this by the way, when I walked in, but it was a great group of, of school cooks and nurses and dietitians. And I made the statement and I stand by it. Oh, you know, I wish we did more in schools, right? For food. And of course there was an uproar, like, oh my God, Robert Irvine just said, we're not doing enough. <laughs> um, and it's so funny because it's something I've been very passionate about in the last couple of years. And, and again, it all ties in. But so I said to the, the person who was screaming, oh my God, Robert, yeah, you have no idea. How much do you get paid for your food? And she said, $14, uh, sorry, $4 and 14 cents a day. And I said, where are you from? She told me, I said, oh, that's funny. And I held up a report from every state and every local government, how much they get paid. I'm like, wrong. That's what the federal government pays the local government. What do you get? You know, so long story short, I was right. They were wrong. And <laughs> I started to, to, to really get dig in with the school feeding because during COVID, we, we fed kids, right? We didn't, there's no work. There was no, nothing. So the government fed the kids that should never, and then now it stopped. That should never have stopped. We're giving healthy. And, and there's some great school districts out there, please. Um, Cause now they send me pictures every day of their food, which is, which is what I wanted because I want to spur that story. Again, why did I tell you that? Because it starts with kids feeding because that's where we draw from our military they do the service, then we get veterans. And, and yes, the answer to me is I, I have a big platform. I am not afraid of, of annoying people. I don't care how many times I annoy you, as long as I get the end result, which I'm looking for, which is to make sure we support our veterans that signed on that line that said, hey, we'll defend the country, a foreign and domestic, um, 
oppressors and and I think we've let them down. I think we as a country have let our veterans down. Not only our veterans, our active duty men and women, our, our, our Gold Star families, our, our Medal of Honor recipients. We, we as a country, and I, and I shout so vocally about this. When I was in Afghanistan with General Abrams, who was then a two-star, he said to me in the middle of um, Frontenac, in the worst fighting ever, it, I, we landed, me and my assistant, um, and front of that base and, and the chopper took off and there's just all hell breaking loose literally. And I said, Oh, well, we can't do anything, but we can find some food. And in the middle we did, we made a meal for when they come off. Um, and we'd already blown the base up ourselves because insurgents got in. So there was no real perimeter. There Wait, was no, you mean the coalition forces had already blown up our own base. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we were in it and, and there was nothing around and, and, I'm like, okay, so there's a barrel, there's some food, we made food. And that's exactly what we did. So for me, again, when the guys come back and I still see people around the globe, we were in Germany a couple of weeks ago, they said, do you remember in Afghanistan, 2012, when you did this? And I'm like, yeah, it was like yesterday for me. So, so for me, yes, the legacy of Robert Irvine is leaving something that is bigger than ourselves, just like service is. Um, that can help, you know, get the services that somebody needs that Luis Favila or yourself or, um, and, and make America stand up and say, Hey, what, what, what are we thinking? Cause nine 11 America came together and in 18 years of a long war, we forgot because it was so, it was, it was every day, every day, every day. And now nothing and we've forgotten about all those those thousands not only the, the folks that, that uh, lost their life in new york city september 11th but all those that signed up and went over and didn't come home and those families that are left behind you know still suffering from that and we all know look you, you signed up i signed up we know there's a possibility right do we ever think it's going to get that point? No, until it actually happens. And I think we have forgotten the veteran community, um, except for the folks that do this, yourself sure. and, our, and our foundations that step in. And, and I want to shout um, from the highest mountain, um, the firefighters. I couldn't believe I went to Brooklyn uh, a couple of weeks ago and did a meal for, for firefighters. I couldn't believe that firefighters actually pay for their own meal when they're on duty yeah, and, and somebody, and one of the firefighters was telling me, Hey, by the way, we went to shop in between the middle of shouts, you know, runs and somebody's like, Oh, you're spending my money. A person actually said that to them <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, you've got, I, I, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And I was at Fort Jackson a couple of weeks ago watching, you know, a long head hippie young man walk in, get his head shaved. And 10 weeks later, I saw him pass out uh, a graduate as a soldier. And it's the most amazing thing to watch. That's, really, that's an incredible yeah. transformation, right? I, I just think you know, we, we're, and when you get out, you'll continue to do, you know, what you do for the service and the veterans, because that's who you are. And that's what we talk. So yes, my legacy is as much as we can do, we better do more than that.
I, uh, I'll, you bring up a piece and I think it's a whole separate conversation in the interest of, of respect for, for the time that you had blocked. Uh, I'd love to talk to you at a separate time. Uh, both of my brothers are cops. One of them is actually a firefighter in the air force reserves and a cop. Uh, what we are not doing for that firefighters see more charred bodies than, than any, than any Afghanistan soldier ever saw. Right. Okay. Uh, cops have more guns pulled on them than any, than any deployment out there. Right. And, and, but we don't talk about those guys and, and the, the, the emotional trauma that they face year in, year out. And I our nurses, all of them, right. We, we just give a dog to a, a, a fire station, um, a PTS dog to a fire station in Florida that goes, goes on the truck to every shout, every run that dog sits front and center in that cab. So I am a, listen, I'm anybody puts on a uniform for me. Yeah. They walk on water. Listen, we're always going to have some bad people in some bad areas, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when you want something and you're the one saying, oh, defund the police and, and I don't want to get political. Don't do this. Don't do this. These guys and girls put on a uniform every day with a gun. Why do they wear a gun? Because somebody's pulling out a semi-automatic weapon on them. Come on. Let's grow up, people. Drives me nuts. I get all, oh, I get all angry because they choose a life. And, and a lot of these folks... Um, our first responders, firefighters, police officers, um, come out of a uniform and then put up another uniform on. Yeah. Um, because we're so used to that service piece. And they get spat on, they get kicked, they get stabbed, they get shot, they get... I, I sometimes wonder, you know, where humanity's gone or where it's going. So I can talk to you for about that all day. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just spent three, three, four, it was a full day, but three or four hours with some amazing guys in Brooklyn, uh, a firefighter, two firefighting houses who I'm, I'm trying to adopt right now, just because I can't believe the pain for the food. I can't believe the people said what they said in the supermarket when we need them, they're there and they never question and they jump in a building and they pull dogs and people and, and, and you're exactly right. They have more post-traumatic stress than they will ever tell you. And I, and, and there's the friends of firefighters who I'm partners with, um, do a great job of that helping post-traumatic stress. And, uh, and I, I, I fund them. Um, and we, again, I get so exasperated when I hear of these, these silly people, but when your house is burning or your kids in there or your dogs in there, or you leave the pond, they're the first ones in anyway. Yeah, we can definitely go on, man. As, as a, uh, a guy who who's uh, in that community, we can go on all day. I, 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 but I pay on, on behalf of the FDNY guys and the firefighters and the first responders and, and the veterans, man, we appreciate what you're doing out there for the community. And, uh, it is not lost on us. And, and I know you, uh, everything from, uh, the Robert Irvine foundation providing, uh, those phenomenal wheelchairs to get veterans. Um, it, it's really just been, uh, an unbelievable, um, effort that, all of the stuff you've done, not just for, for the veterans, but I mean, the, the, the food insecurity pieces, everything you're doing, man, it, it's not lost on us who are serving or have served or in those communities, man. So, so thank you so much. 